shining a light on autism and life as an autistic person. Welcome to My Friend Autism, a podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism while increasing understanding and acceptance of the autistic community. And now, here's your neurodivergent host, Orion Kelly. for watching and listening to this podcast. I'm Orion Kelly, that autistic guy. I'm all about helping you raise your level of understanding, acceptance and appreciation of the autistic community. So if that sounds like something you're interested in being a part of, you just got to hit that subscribe button and join an amazing community we've built on both my channels, Orion Kelly, that autistic guy, and this one, Orion Kelly Podcasts. This is a video podcast. You may be watching it right now. On YouTube, if you are, thank you so much. Or maybe you're listening to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Either way, we're here to talk about anxiety on this podcast, okay? So autism and anxiety, it's a chicken and an egg conversation. Why? Why? Well, okay. Are you anxious because you're autistic and life as an autistic person can make you anxious? Or are you autistic, but you also have co-occurring but not connected anxiety conditions or diagnoses? So let's talk about them. The connection. What is the connection? You know, this is one of those things where it's, it's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. So let's talk about some just generalized stats Around about the 80 to 85% mark of autistic people have a co-occurring condition of at least one form of diagnosed anxiety. So I'm talking about at the level where a healthcare professional, practitioner, whatever you want to call them, can diagnose you with a, what do you call that? Do you call that clinical? With a clinical anxiety, a clinical form of anxiety. Whatever works for you, helps you, is great. I don't care. So, is it just autism? Now I'm saying, oh, hang on, you heard that? Scratch it. Maybe if you're autistic, you don't have a diagnosable form of anxiety. And if you do, you shouldn't have it. I'm saying maybe you have it because you're autistic. But medical professionals, they need boxes to be ticked and, you know, things to be in. They need certain columns and charts and, well, then it must be this. These are questions. These aren't statements. Is it just autism? Or is the anxiety separate? Potentially, even more challenging statement. Is it not a diagnosable form of anxiety? Is it, in fact, the manifestation of autistic traits? You might be thinking, oh, I can't wait to get the answers to these questions. You're not going to get them from me, mate. <laughs> I'm here to help you think about things to talk about with people, discussions and thought starters. I'm here to challenge you with my tiny little brain. So they're my first two points to challenge you. What role can special interests play in combating 
anxiety? That's another question I've got for you. I don't have the answer. What I do have is the common forms, from what I've gathered, the most common forms of anxiety experienced by autistic people. So we're talking about clinical forms. And I'd say it right now if I knew, but I don't, so I've got to flick through the paper here. What do you want from me? How much did it cost you to listen to this, mate? That's, I apologize. I have got a list of some of the most common anxiety triggers for autistic people. Okay, I like that. We're gonna, we'll do that last. So a list of the most common triggers of anxiety for autistic people and some are absolutely from my own personal experiences and I think you're going to enjoy them. We'll do that last. All right, so we've started by Really offending everyone. That's a good start, Orion. Well done. Um, so you offended everyone and you've alienated everyone and you've put out these big, broad questions and you've also promised you won't answer them. So you've done really well on selling this product so far. Well done. I, I, God only knows why, you know, the massive big corporations that pay people to produce podcasts for them and, you know, help them reach more people and stuff. God only knows why they're not calling. I can see. I'm trying to make a difference in the world and they only want to give money to like douchebags that failed in radio that want to do podcasts about the 700th true crime story we've already heard about 400 times. All right, here we go. My apologies there. I don't know what happened. It's not me. It's him. Uh, Now, uh, forms of anxiety that I think are the most common forms experienced by autistic people. Number one, I've got this. Let me start that again. I was diagnosed with this at the same time as I was assessed for autism. And that is social anxiety disorder or socialized anxiety disorder or sad. No, that's not right. That's not right. Um, <laughs> that's not right. All right. So uh, this is a, you know, I, I, I guess I can apologize, but I can also say, what did you expect? You think every day is going to be the same when you're watching or listening to me? I'm an autistic guy and, you just never know what you're going to get. I apologize if this is bad. If it's good, well done. I don't know if I'll reproduce it, but here we are, my friends. All right, so uh, SAD, S-A-D. Socialized anxiety disorder. As I said, I have this diagnosis. So what is it? Let's get serious. It's a persistent fear of one or more social situations where embarrassment may occur and the fear or anxiety is out of proportion to the actual threat posed by the social situation. This is a classic statement of me and maybe many autistic people with regards to any kind of social interaction. This idea that we have this, what people would class as disproportionate anxiety around the things that are going to happen, right? Embarrassment and rejection, some sort of threat posed by the social interaction. It sounds over the top for neurotypical people. I get it. But trust me, there isn't many more debilitating things as an autistic person than this kind of social anxiety. Honestly, because you can't really escape it. It's everyday life. Can you imagine, and this is my experience, can you imagine if every day you woke up and the anxiety begins just on the premise 
possible threats and possible social interactions and how that may go. It's, it's debilitating and it's exhausting. So everyday interactions is what I'm saying. Not like big ones. I'm not talking like job interviews. Everyday, like going to the shops. Everyday interactions cause significant anxiety, self-consciousness, embarrassment. Why? Well, basically it's because you fear being scrutinized. You fear being judged. And I, I can add to that and say judged negatively by others. But then again, to say being judged is positive, I don't really, that doesn't make any sense. If someone's judging you, that's negative. Anyway. <laughs> and also, if someone's judging you, it's through the wrong, it's through the wrong prim, uh, prism lens anyway. Right? So they're judging you. And then I'm saying you're judging me based on who you think, I think, you think I am. Oh, man, I just blew my own mind. Move on. All right, so uh, in social anxiety disorder, fear and anxiety lead to avoidance. Well, what happens then? If you are constantly avoiding social interactions of any kind, what happens? Well, it'd be pretty disrupting to -to day-to-day life, right? You can't, because it's life. You can't avoid life. You can, you can. Anyway, social anxiety is one of those things where, maybe I don't don't know if I know this as a fact, but I I feel like it's one of those things where, because I I know I've been diagnosed with it, I've talked about it. Is is it one of those things where people go, what a load of rubbish? Is is it one of those things where people think, you're, you're, come on, give us a spell, mate. This is not a, this is not a disorder. This is not a condition. What are you talking about? And I, I, I don't know how to turn that around. I, hopefully this discussion will help. Let's continue. So the avoidance alone, based on all the things we've just talked about, can really be disruptive to you. But what about the people around you, right? So there's this severe stress that can cloud relationships, it can impact your daily routines because if daily routines include interactions or other people, this is going to be an issue. It might be your work, your ability to work, your employment opportunities, being educated at school as a child or further education. Really any activity, right? Really any activity that isn't by yourself. And, and there's this stress, this severe stress and severe anxiety that completely impacts all facets of your life. Social anxiety disorder can be a chronic mental health condition and typical social situations can be grouped into those that involve interaction, observation, and performance. Isn't this good? Think about, okay, let's break this down briefly. Okay, so you've got social interactions and, and, and someone has a clinically diagnosed form of social anxiety, right? Like me. Sad, short. Okay, so we're now saying let's split it into three. So you've got your social interactions where it actually includes you interacting, right? So classic interactions. Then you've got your social interactions where it might include observation. Now, this is, and this can be, you, know, you might be going to a place, let's say me, I'm going to a place, say, to watch my kid in a school thing, right? But then it's not only me observing, but I'm still in a social interaction, or a social, you know, a social circumstance or scenario, yet I will feel like I'm being observed as well. 
So it doesn't even need to include interaction. And then the final one, performance. And this is really interesting. So in, in some social interactions or really, you know, when we talk about social anxiety, we're talking about really leaving your own safe space, which is assume, presumably your, your house, right, or your home, your family. There's going to be at times a, a degree of performance. And I don't mean putting on a show. You know, it could be anything, right? It, it, performance is you performing in your daily activities in life. It can be more complicated. It might be sport. It might be hobbies or activities or presentations or talks. And you can go on and go on. But the performance of anything, the performance of ordering a coffee or doing the shopping, there's so many different ways of looking at it. So I guess a couple of basic examples if it helps. No, it won't. I'll move on. No, okay, so it could be meeting people, right? So meeting strangers, meeting people, talking in meetings, groups, starting conversations, talking to authority figures, working, eating, drinking while being observed, working, studying, eating, drinking while being observed. Did I say that right? by being observed or presumably observed creates genuine stress and anxiety for an autistic person. Going to school, social anxiety, shopping, being seen in public. You go out and then someone you know sees you and tries to interact with you. Now, it's not about them, but it, that is a massive anxiety. Using public toilets. Public toilets are tricky. Anyway, there's no consistency there and you never know who's going to be in there and what's going to happen and good grief you know all those types of things we talked about about performing in public so that's social anxiety disorder again one of the most common co-occurring conditions with autistic people the second one we're going to talk about is the second one that that I, i've also got a diagnosis for and then i've got a few more to talk about more broadly the second one is gad Generalized anxiety disorder. Now, the first thing I think it's, it's important is a lot of people are going to go, well, hang on, all right. If you've got generalized anxiety disorder, why do you need social anxiety disorder? Isn't, and here's why they're not the same. So GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, is a persistent and excessive worry about a number of different things. Social anxiety disorder is a persistence, is, that's not what it is, is a persistent fear of one or more social situations. Now, social situations, sure, can be classed as a different thing, but GAD is deeper than that. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can actually have both and you can actually have one or the other. And I think GAD can be one of, one of the more challenging struggles with regards to mental health and being an autistic adult. So you can imagine that, right? Persistent and excessive, disproportionate worry about a number of different things. In other words, everything. In other words, you are the caveman and, and that kind of amygdala, that kind of response, right, to our and, – and by the way, you know, so our brains are, are that different from the brains of the cavemen? No. 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 So they were programmed so, you know, there's danger around you and you're constantly, your brain is constantly searching and that amygdala is, you know, trained to go off, to 
get you to be alert, and the stress, cortisol, and all that kind of stuff when there is harm. Now, as a, as a caveman, you know, dangers are everywhere, right? Everywhere. There is, you are never, you're virtually never safe as a caveman. Okay. Well, we may well and truly still have the same neurology, the same brain as the cavemen before us, the Homo sapiens or Neanderthals or wherever you want to sit with that conversation, right? But we don't live in the world that cavemen lived in for the most part, right? So this is where it gets really interesting. So people with GAD, we may anticipate disaster and maybe be overly concerned about disaster, about things going wrong. And I mean overly concerned about anything. That's why it's generalised. Money, health, family, work, any issue you can think of. We can also find it difficult to control our worry. So not only do we worry about everything, but kind of telling us don't worry about it doesn't help. The idea that we can control the worrying about everything disputes the purpose of there being a clinical diagnosis in the first place. And this is, this is where I find it really interesting. So I got the diagnosis and a couple of diagnoses of anxiety and there's medications out there to help with anxiety, right? There's med- medications that can help you with anxiety, that can help you with depression, all different things, yeah? Does that stop you from worrying about everything? And does it allow you to control your worries? In my experience, no. Does it help? Does it take the edge off? Does it provide you with... Actually, let me reword that. Does it slow your amygdala or your caveman brain down enough to relax a bit more, to live a bit nicer? Yes. Yes. So there's, there's, there's wins and losses. But this idea that, you know, I need to stop worrying about everything. I mean, my nine-year-old autistic son's the same. And it doesn't matter. Every week there's a new thing, assembly or a sports thing or a camp or an excursion or an activity or a teacher change or this or that. There's always something to worry about. And you can't just tell them to stop, turn it off. It doesn't work like that. You thinking you can clear the worries of your autistic child or your autistic partner, even I mean, even though you know, like it's admirable, I, I, your heart's in the right place. You cannot. I'm, I'm helping you not waste your time and energy. You cannot. It's a it's a never ending cycle. So we may worry, in your opinion, more than seems warranted, right? Disproportionately, we may worry more than you think is is worthy about actual events. So actual real things that you understand and you can relate to too, it's unwarranted. It's like, why on earth are you even worrying about that? Who? What's the difference? Like who cares about that, right? Like it's just a haircut. What's to worry about? We're just driving to your grandparents' house. You're just going to school, mate. It's just going to the bakery to get some lunch. Right? It doesn't make any sense to you. And, but but it, it's, it's a thing, right? So hopefully this gives you insights both ways. And let me add to that. Okay, so there's the unwarranted about actual events. But there's also expecting the worst of future events, expecting the worst of things about to happen or going to happen, even though 
there is absolutely, in your mind, no apparent reason for concern. So going and getting a haircut, you might think, what is there to worry about? There is no apparent reason to be concerned. There is no apparent reason to be concerned about going and getting lunch or visiting our grandparents or walking to the beach or playing outside. Right? There's, it, so that's, that's the difference. It, it's not like there's a switch. Someone experiencing GAD, there is an apparent reason, and I can give you a hundred of them. <laughs> you, you name the situation I'm worried about, and you're saying there's no apparent reason to be concerned. Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. What if I have to pee once I leave? What if there's no toilets when I get there? What if we get there late? What if I can't find a parking space? What if I get there and I have to wait a long time? What if they cut my hair and pull my ears back or fold them down? What if they don't take the loose hair off my face? What if they cut me? What if they do a bad job? I certainly won't be able to tell them that. What if it takes too long? What if it's, what if it isn't, isn't even good? What if I don't realise how much it costs and it costs more than I thought? What if I get into an argument with someone? What if the music's too loud? What if I need to go to the toilet after the haircut, during the haircut? What if I forget my wallet? Who's picking me up? Where did I park? What if they put that thing around my neck when they cut your hair and they just do the buttons too tight? I'm not going to say anything. What if there's hair in the back of my neck stuck between my T-shirt and my neck? What's the point of the bloody towel and the, the, the hard thing around my neck in the first place? Just an example. That's just an example. That would be way more genuine if, I, if it was like an actual situation I was currently worrying about and I go through those. But I'm trying to give you more of a generalised example. So there you go. Take that, mate. <laughs> People with GAD, generalised anxiety disorder, feel anxious and worried most of the time. Not just in specific stressful situations. And these worries, you know, they're intense. They're persistent. They interfere with our normal lives. Anxious and worried most of the time. So we live our life from day to day. And for most of that time, day to day, we're anxious and worried. In addition to that, it's intense, persistent. It interferes with our life. And it's not even exclusive to specific stressful situations. Do you see what I, like, take a breath because I need to take a breath. You know, seriously, the worries can relate to several aspects of life, really any aspect of life, work, health, family, finance. So not just one issue like social anxiety, all issues, every issue, even minor things, household stuff, work, chores, being late for an appointment. These types of little, that you think are little things, can become major focus points of anxiety, leading to an uncontrollable worry. And what is that? It's a feeling of terror. A feeling of terror that that will actually happen. So focusing on worries and things that could happen terrorise you. 
on the premise that they will happen or they could happen. That's GAD. Got some triggers for you soon on how anxiety can be triggered in autistic people. A couple more to get through. Agoraphobia. Now, agoraphobia, another form of anxiety, is where a person is afraid to leave environments they know or consider to be safe. What's interesting about this is, we're going to get into it more, what's interesting about this is, it's very common for autistic people, not all, but most autistic people, to be very much anchored to their safe place and their safe people. What are those, Orion? Safe people are the people in your life that you always feel safe around. For autistic kids, they may well be parents, carers, sport workers. For autistic adults, they may well be parents, friends, partners, that kind of stuff. All right, so in, in severe cases, a person with agoraphobia considers their home to be the only safe environment. Again, not dissimilar to autistic people. People with agoraphobia may avoid leaving their home ever, like days, months, even years, if possible. Generally, busy public places, so we're talking supermarkets, shopping centres, trains and trams and planes and airports, those kind of places, they're feared the most. They are usually the kryptonite to people with agoraphobia. However, really any public place, believe it or not, even things like, I don't know, an empty, an empty park, right, or a quiet church, a library, they may seem threatening to a person with agoraphobia. Now, mental health experts believe the root of agoraphobia is fear of the physical and mental sensations of anxiety and often of panic or of losing control of embarrassing yourself. Isn't that interesting? A person with agoraphobia is unwilling to visit unsafe places because they're afraid that in doing so, that will trigger anxiety or even a panic attack. Now, again, before we do one more, let's go back to the start of the conversation when I said, do you in fact have diagnosable forms of anxiety or are they traits of being autistic? Not, a, not an answer, just a discussion question. Okay, because, you know, you read all that about agoraphobia and even GAD and you think, well, hang on, that sounds like core autistic traits. Autistic people don't want to go anywhere. They want to leave their safe environment and their safe people. They're at, why? Well, there are many reasons. There's the social interaction side of it. There's the busyness. There's the sensory overwhelm, be that sounds and noises and smells and lights, the sensory overwhelm, right, of the environment you go into and, and just and so being unwilling to leave it, to go to unsafe places. And, well, how long? Or ever. What's the point? You do it. And then you think, well, hang on, which one is it? Are you autistic? Or do you have agoraphobia? Or can you have both? Sure, there are people who are neurotypical or not autistic that could have that diagnosis of agoraphobia. But then if you're an autistic person, doesn't that all that summarise autistic traits or do you need both? Now, again, these aren't answers. These are just questions and discussions. I find it, you can put comments in below down in, the, in you know, well, I think it's called comments in case you're wondering where to put comments. Where do you put the comments? Oh, yeah, you know the thing called comments? Man, this is, I apologise today. Whew, all right. 
Uh, last one, then we're going to do some triggers. OCD. Oh, yes, my friends, OCD. Is there an autistic person that doesn't have OCD or is it just a trait of being autistic? Obsessive compulsive disorder. Characterised by uncontrollable repetitive behaviours. Oh, that sounds familiar. You feel compelled to perform. Now, as you know, part of autism is restricted and repetitive behaviours, movements, interests, these types of things. So again, these are just thought-starting questions. I'm just, I'm just trying to point out things that I find really interesting. People with OCD experience recurrent and persistive, persistent thoughts, images or impulses that are intrusive and unwanted. They also perform repetitive and ritualistic actions that are excessive, time-consuming and distressing. They're called compulsions. Again, this is not my words, right? Okay, so we have this this kind of intrusive side and we have this compulsive side, these kind of compulsions. People with OCD are usually aware of the irrational and excessive nature of their obsessions and compulsions. However, they feel unable to control their obsessions or resist their compulsions. OCD causes the brain to get stuck on a particular thought or urge, for example. You may want to check your stove, like, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 times to make sure it's really turned off because you're terrified that it isn't turned off and your house will burn down. Or door locked. Is it? Check the door's locked. You already have. You know you just locked it. You remember locking it, but you're still going to check the door's locked. That's another example. For me, an example could be an excessive compulsion, concern with symmetry, exactness, orderliness, sameness, cleanliness. This this idea, it's 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 a it's everything has to. There's always rearranging things. So there you go. There's a whirlwind adventure on some of the most common forms of anxiety experienced by autistic people. Let's bring it home with some triggers. All right, so we've got some of the most common things that can cause anxiety in an an autistic person. And obviously, keep in mind, these things cause a feeling of of, uh, anxiety. But just because these triggers I'm about to tell you may be experienced by you and can cause you a feeling of anxiety, feeling anxiously, doesn't necessarily mean they cause a diagnosis or a diagnosable form of anxiety. So this is not a diagnostic list here, okay? This is, that's, that's a matter for your, your GP, your family doctor. I'm talking about just some examples of what triggers anxiety in autistic people. So things that can cause anxiety in autistic people. Let's start off with the classic, my friend, phone calls. Oh, yeah, what part? All parts, making calls, receiving calls. Talking on the phone. You know what's the worst? <clears throat> when you're expecting a call, or even worse, when you know you have to make a call. I hate that. The level of anxiety in knowing I have to make a call or I'm expecting a call is so high. It's such a trigger for anxiety. I hate phone calls, making them, taking them. 
What's the deal these days too? I mean, seriously, you can message and email and text. Even the messages can be your voice. Like you can talk into messages and they can hear you talk. Or it can, I don't know, dictate it or translate it or whatever. Like seriously, phone calls? Come on. Another trigger. New places and new people. Hello. Yeah, we've talked about that. Changes in routine, unexpected changes of your plans, your daily plans, the, the plans that you had, the way things were going to go, routines, mapped out days, plans, the sameness of what happens usually when they change, massive anxiety. And even the anxiety around them being changed at the last minute or possibly a change coming along. Not enough time to spend on your special interest. This is a big anxiety trigger for a lot of autistic people. Now, why? Because their special interest is their passion. It's really what they, what lights them up, what keeps them regulated and, and, and going, and also what they really, they really want to be a part of all the time, right? Even anything getting in the way of you know, your special interest and your passions is not a good thing, and it causes anxiety if you might not be able to engage in it or spend enough time on it. Another one, interruptions, personal demands, an outside force getting in the way of completing a task. Again, this is a bit like the special interests. Demands upon autistic people can be debilitating. Interruptions. Again, these are like these unexpected things. Challenges with executive function is a big one. So your challenge with executive function Getting in the way of completing your task or getting in the way of helping you do what you want to do causes anxiety. And remember, executive function is a set of cognitive skills. And autism is a neurodevelopmental, not intellectual, a neurodevelopmental condition. Therefore, if executive function is a set of cognitive skills, autistic people are probably going to struggle with executive skills if they weren't able to develop properly or fully or over time or are still in the process. That that just makes sense. So that's tricky. Feeling unprepared or unable to complete a task. That's another one that can cause a lot of anxiety. This is really interesting, by the way. I always feel way more anxious if I don't completely get, understand, know, and fully prepared for something that's coming or I want to do. But also I feel like it wouldn't matter because I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it anyway. I wouldn't be good enough. I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm not, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not right. Not going to happen. Not enough alone time can cause anxiety. Definitely triggers anxiety. Again, alone time is not about selfishness, like me time. And I think it's important for everyone. But for an autistic person, it provides them opportunities to regulate or if they're about to become dysregulated, potentially melt down, shut down. It helps them to hopefully cut that off of the past, to bring themselves back into a regulated state, to relax themselves, to get themselves back where they need to be, to continue their day with their friends, their family, you know, whoever. Ambiguous, unclear directions, instructions or questions. Oh, man, and that's an anxiety trigger. I mean, seriously. If you, if you have things to say, instructions, questions, directions, whatever, please just make them clear. Just make them unambiguous, clear, 
black and white, concrete, matter of fact, plain and simple. Here it is language. Simple. Too many directions, too many instructions, too many questions at once. So it's a carry-on. Okay, so it's one thing to do it in a, in a sensible way, a simple, black and white, straightforward way. But to pepper someone with a series of questions or a series of directions or instructions is, is going to cause so much anxiety in autistic kids and autistic adults. One thing at a time. Very simple. Neurotypical expectations or non-specific expectations. Big anxiety trigger. Again, if you're autistic and you're getting neurotypical expectations placed upon you, well, you can't ever win. You'll only ever fail because you're asking, you're asking a Mac to work like Windows. Right? It, the expectations don't make sense. It's not the same operating system. Why you'd ever ask a Mac to work like Windows, I've got no idea. <sighs> Being misunderstood or misrepresented, this happens all the time for autistic people, and it's total anxiety. Every interaction we have, we think, oh, no, we are going to be misunderstood here or misrepresented, and it's going to come off bad and we're going to hate ourselves. Horrible. Being gaslit, patronised, talked down to. Strong reactions from people or strong personalities. These can cause real anxiety in autistic people. You know, you, you don't have to not be yourself or dim your light or whatever people like to say, which is just makes no sense autistic people are born dimming their light to make you feel comfortable and now you're saying oh they're making me dim my light i want to shine light bright i don't know what they're saying it's like give us a spell mate yes you are meant to dim your light what are you talking about anyway so that's like strong reactions from people or, or just people who just want to be so strong personalities around autistic people who clearly have different sensory challenges and processing challenges and, and, and think that's okay. It just, like, it just it makes absolutely no sense. It's honestly, it's, I don't know, it's like taking a sledgehammer to a pillow fight. Yeah, great. Uh, using public transport or travelling in general. I mean, you know, whether it's public transport, whether it's going on holidays, airports, planes, horrible. So much anxiety. Being part of confrontations or arguments, even near misses of those, thinking that's going to happen. The, the thought of that happening, massive anxiety trigger. This is a big one. Having mistakes pointed out or being ridiculed. It doesn't mean you can't teach autistic people what's right and wrong or how to do things better, or you know. but just pointing out mistakes, just ridiculing based on these neurotypical expectations is a massive anxiety trigger. And there's nothing to be gained from that. In fact, what happens? What do you gain? You gain a diagnosable case of anxiety, which is what we've talked about today. And I hope this discussion has got you thinking not, not only about the co-occurring conditions of anxiety and autism, but also the idea that being autistic creates its own realm of different types of anxieties. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Catch up on all the episodes at orionkelly.com.au. Once again, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch and listen to my video podcast and my audio podcast, My Friend Autism. I really do appreciate your support. Check out our communities to be a part of them. Subscribing to the YouTube channels, That Autistic Guy and 
Orion Kelly podcast is all you got to do to join this amazing community. Until my next video podcast, thank you so much for being here. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and binge all the podcasts, blogs and videos, visit orionkelly.com.au.